So this new project is, um, we're trying to be as self-sufficient as possible. Um, I'm a little bit over the term paddock's plate, to be perfectly honest with you. It's been used and abused and I think, you know, everything starts in a paddock and ends up on a plate. Um, it's just about how far it travels to get to you. This is the Deep in the Weeds podcast. I'm Anthony Huckstep. When we last caught up with Colin Barker, the boathouse on Blackwattle Bay had closed and he was weighing up where his future might lie. After making a name for himself as one of Australia's best seafood chefs, he's now doing something a little different. Colin, how are you? I'm well, Huck. How are you, mate? Good. You're uh, no longer by the sea cooking fish. You've, uh, you've headed west. I've headed west. Um, yeah, we've, we've set up something a little bit different out in the, the Megalong Valley in the Blue Mountains. Um, yeah, it's a bit different to the old boathouse, but uh, it's very exciting. Well, I want to get into that shortly and how that all came about, but the boathouse was such an institution and you were such a big part of it for so many years. And l- looking back at sort of letting go of that, what, how has that changed you, letting go of something so monumental in your life? Uh, by all accounts, I'm very different, but having said that, I haven't had, uh, you know, we've been developing a restaurant, not uh, not running a restaurant, so that, that might all change when the doors open, but, you know, it's... Uh, it, it's been an amazing couple of years, mate. Um, like a, the last time we spoke, as I said that I'd probably overinvested, um, you know, physically and emotionally in the boathouse, and it was a forced change um, where we've ended up now. And yeah, life's life's very different. We've got a different outlook on the industry, got a different uh, relationship with the family, and, and things are going great. Well, tell us a bit about that difference. What what's changed for you? So the big thing for me lately, or over the last couple of years, is. I haven't been actively working in the restaurant. Um, I've been developing this new site for two and a half years now, sort of the project management role. And it's given me the ability to sort of, where I always wanted to be with the boathouse was was working on a business, um, not necessarily in it. Um, and it's completely different sort of aspect, you know, when you're, I've never had the ability to, to develop a kitchen from scratch. Um, so, you know, that's been a real treat. Um, but mainly the biggest change has been on the family front, mate. Um, it's maybe more accessible for the, the kids, um, more accessible to the wife. And we're still based in Sydney. I just split my time between the valley and home. Um, we're not going to relocate just at this second. You know, we've got, you know, the wife's got her career in Sydney and the kids are, yeah, we've got one in high school and one finishing up primary and they're, they're pretty deeply rooted in friends and sport and all those sort of arrangements. But um, the farm's actually given us the ability for the kids to have the best of both worlds. You know, they've got the coast in their life and uh, they've got a thousand acres to muck around on now too. Has it changed your approach to your career, getting, you know, such a enriching sort of experience now with your family um, and not so heavy on the pans? Yeah, absolutely, mate. Big time. Um, like I said, that's all going to change the closer we get to open date. But at the moment, you know, it's it's, it's a very, very different outlook. Like you can become very narrow-minded when you're a chef and you've just got the kitchen to focus on. And although, you know, I had more than that to focus on at the boathouse, but, you know, there's a lot of different aspects involved in, in building something and particularly of a rural nature. So, yeah, it's a, it's a, it's a very different me and you know, as we, we all know, we're not getting any younger, so it's a, a case of smarter, not harder. Were you worried about where your future might lie when the boathouse ended? It was, I mean, it was so important to so many diners, but it was it was a huge part of you. 
Yeah, it was massive. So 13 years um, and, and a whole lot of energy invested. And, you know, we were, we'd for, for five or so years, we'd been trying to, to buy a 50% shareholding in the place. And, you know, on our last podcast, I, I, I knew in my head 18 months out that it wasn't going to happen. But I'd sort of become, you know, you speak about the boathouse being an institution, but I wasn't far off being institutionalized. Um, <laughs> It just—it was one of those things where I'd, I'd been in the one spot for a long time, and you start and question your own value. And can I go out there and do it somewhere else? You know, can I can I survive out of my own four walls? Um. So yeah, look, big changes coming up, but uh, the boathouse was huge investment. Um, and it's just the the, the way the universe has sort of brought it all around for me. The I didn't think I had any commercial value out there, um, but it, it just happened that as soon as, you know, the restaurant was closed with the forced closures, I was lucky enough to get picked up straight off the bat and, we, you know, um, to basically I was, I was consulting for a large hotel group, pub group, um, and this new project came about. So there's a family tie-in. Um, it's, a, it's a family member that owns the, the property and has got the interest in the project. Um Basically, Amber's my wife. Her, her birthday was coming up, a landmark birthday, and she'd been planning this party forever. And we had a um, an event space booked on the water down near home, and big party. And as restrictions kept in, uh, you know, it just got smaller and smaller to the point where we couldn't do anything, and she was gutted. Um, and then I got a phone call from this this uh, family member, now business partner, and he said, "Hey." Party's back on, 1,000 acres, Megalong Valley, 10 cabins. He said, they're a little bit derelict, but come up. He said, no social distancing issues on 1,000 acres. He said, you might have to cull your list a little bit. So that's exactly what we did. And um, we had a big outdoor cook-up, um, you know, all over charcoal, camp ovens of stuff. Um, and we just had sort of, you know, 10 of our nearest and dearest family friends in their circle. And uh, partway through lunch, um, James, who I'm working with now, he, he got me and I probably had probably far too many shandies for a sensible conversation. And he said, I've, I want to take you for a walk. Let's go for a walk. So I think I might have got railroaded just quietly. And we, we walked down to this old building that was on the property and it was pretty derelict. And uh, he said, what do you think? And, you know, when you stand in the, the front of the restaurant, you actually look out, you look straight out up an escarpment and the Hydro Majestic hotels on top of the hill for anyone who knows where the Hydro is. So it's a pretty spectacular view. And he said, what do you think? And I said, what do you mean what I think? To be perfectly honest, like, I think it's a massive pile of shit. And he goes, no, no, do you see the potential? I'm like, potential for what? And he said, I'd like to build a restaurant. And uh, he said, I'm not going to bother you any further today on Amber's birthday, but we'll talk later on. And... You know, I was consulting, so he asked me for, you know, can you put a kitchen together, business model, um, sort of projection of, of what you would do with the place. And as the project went on and on and on, and it, it gathered a bit of momentum, I was spending more time up in the mountains working on it, and I uh, got to the point where he said, mate, I'm too busy in my other life. Um, I'm not a hospitality guy. When your contract's finished with the hotel, you're on with us. Um, we've, got a re we've got a restaurant to build. And that's where it went. So it was just, like I said, mate, since the closure of the boathouse, I've been really, really fortunate. Um, I've been lucky to, to be in work constantly and, and to be just, I don't know, the universe has, uh, has paid me back in a big way. I'm, I'm, I'm pretty happy with how things have turned out. Well, the whole project is Lot 101 and it's a farm accommodation and the restaurant is called Megalong. Tell, tell us a bit about 
that region and and the offering there? So the Megalong Valley um, is a little bit of a sort of best kept secret. Um, it's about oh, an hour and 45, two hours out of Sydney. Um, you, you turn off at Blackheath over the train line and, and it's basically um, when you get down into the valley. So you wind your way down through you know, a bit of sort of rainforest gig and it's, it's really, really pretty. And then it opens up into this valley and it's a little bit of the land that time forgot. Um, there's still like sort of a lot of agriculture and I suppose one of the motivators for the restaurant was, you know, like with development going the way it is in Sydney now and there really is, you know, from the foot of the mountains east, um, we've lost all the food production areas. Um, that, you know, there's still pockets of it but it's slowly, slowly, slowly being developed out. So um, the Megalong Valley itself used to be uh, the food bowl for the Hydro Majestic Hotel. So there's an amazing amount of old, um, there's like feral apple trees and, and pears and things like that around the place. And then there's a good little food community down here. Um, we've actually picked up one of the local cafes uh, as well. It's uh, the Tea Rooms. It's famous for its scones. It's been around since 1956. So we've got that and there's some great producers down here. There's a, there's a couple of wineries that we're working with. Um, there's a, a, a guy down here that does olive oil, yuzu, sadachi, bergamot. Um, we've got access to a couple of private orchards, which are fantastic. Um, so we're, we're starting to meet the right people in the community. And I guess the whole idea behind our project is um, sort of harks back to my time. I did a little bit of time in the UK. And for the latter half of that, um, I was at a gastro pub and all the food came from the local area, wild game, the fruit and veg, chef raised his own pigs, all that sort of stuff. Um, and I always had a little bit of a dream to do something like that. Landed back in Sydney, no funds, ended up at the boathouse, you know, with the, you know, the passionate connection with, you know, fish and seafood being a, a fisherman. And... Um, yeah, so this new project is um, we're trying to be as self-sufficient as possible. Um, I'm a little bit over the term paddock to plate, to be perfectly honest with you. It's been used and abused and I think, you know, everything starts in a paddock and ends up on a plate. Um, it's just about how far it travels to get to you. But um, we're based on a 1,000 acres, so we've got no shortage of land. Um, it's off-grid in as far as um, we've got a fair amount of solar that goes in. Um, we have no mains water, so it's all... Uh, catchment. So we've we've put in about a million litres of uh, water storage, um, and then we've got a, a, a really large spring-fed dam. It's like 20 megs of water, uh, 230 metres deep. Uh, sorry, 230 metres long, 14 metres deep, and we've got the ability um, with our with reverse osmosis to turn that into potable water if we hit really really bad times. Um, there's 17 cabinet accommodations, um, which six of them are operational now, and then uh, the rest of them are undergoing a big transformation uh, once the trades are done on the restaurant. Um, we've got about six acres of organic vegetable production, uh, running our own cattle. Uh, we had 40 head sort of mixed breed stuff. Uh, we've got a dry aging facility for hanging carcass. We've got 100 sheep. We've just finished lambing, actually, so... Uh, yeah, yeah, uh, drenching, marking, vaccinating, hooves, all that sort of stuff. It's uh, it's a far cry from uh, Blackwater Bay, mate. Tell us a little bit more about the farm. What what, what are you growing there? Is it, are you are you sort of aiming for what you want uh, on the plate, or are you growing what works in the region? How, how does it work? 
Yeah, so the whole we've been really, really fortunate to nail. We've got three full-time uh, horticulture guys, and they've all got uh, quite the pedigree. Um, Fabrice Rolando, who used to be for, first for, first farm organics, in um, used to run stuff back to town. He's based in the Canimbla Valley. And then we've got Mark Wells and Josh Hayes, who used to be at Sticks Farm out on the Hawkesbury as well. So I think, um, you know, at the Boathouse, we're always really big about eating with the season and, you know, using what was local and abundant. So... It's the last two years we've had the garden in full production um, and we're really just trying to crack the pattern. So we've got our soil health to where we're really happy with it now and we've got a really unique microclimate. So we, we still get frosts until very late November. So, you know, for a good period of the year when we're getting the minuses, everything sort of just sits um, in this sort of, you know, static. It just, it's not going anywhere and then the soil temp comes back and everything takes off. So... There's been a real learning curve um, and then we've got to do our cropping rotations and, you know, like if, if I want Chantenay carrots at a certain time of the year, like we actually, because we're doing our own seed production as well, um, you know, seven months out, I've got to plant those carrots. So now that we know what Mother Nature is going to allow us to do on the farm, what's going to grow, we've had a lot of successes, but we've had a fair amount of failures too. Um, basically, the, the menu is going to... It, it's going to be influenced wholly and solely by what's going on in the cool room uh, and what the boys have got coming around in the garden, and we've just got to work with the seasons. Has this um, connection that you fostered with the land and growing your own th- um, produce, has, has it made you rethink your approach to cooking? Um, look, I think my – like, I grew up a rural boy, and food – production at home even though it was small scale mum grew you know a lot of our fruit and veg as kids and we did the meat chook thing and you know lambs for family friends and things like that I think I've always like that's that's where I've always been at with food is, is the provenance and the seasonality but you sort of as a chef you get off track for a little while there you get up caught up in the glitz and glam and you know we went through the whole molecular gastronomy and I did London and all that stuff but yeah, I'm, it, it's back to rootsy, honest, you know, simple things done well. Is there any sort of, um, I know there's still a bit of, uh, you're still working on everything, but is there some dishes or some things that you've been working on? You've been cooking seafood for so long. Um, what's it like jumping into sort of uh, terrestrial proteins? Yeah, look, it's, it's been interesting. It's obviously, um, you know, fishing and hunting is a big part of who I am, so um, you know, the, the land animals have always featured quite heavily on the menus and it's just that we've had a little bit of a mo- momentum swing where once upon a time we ate a lot of seafood at home and it was, you know, the odd bit of venison or something like that or, you know, a good you know, piece of beef from somewhere. But now it's the other way around. We've got an excess of uh, red meat and bird and things like that and i just got to mix it in with a little bit of, uh, you know, uh, wild-caught protein myself. So it's um, – look, it's been really interesting, mate, and – you know, for instance, we, we pushed two steers through the abattoir recently and we hung them in our facility and we had a return weight of 660 kilos. And, you, you know, like you just, you don't get, there's, there's only two sections of rib, there's only two sections of sirloin, there's only, and there's a whole lot of secondary gear, um, yet you want to do justice to the whole creature. So that's where we're really, really lucky in having the cafe up here, um, which, you know, it's a, it's a busy little beast. But it's given us the ability, we, you know, we took all the shins um, and braised them down for pie mixture. Um, we made 80 kilos of snags, um, 
all the brisket and all the silver side we corned and turned into Reuben sandwiches and then uh, all the bones turned into stocks for, for bone broth or, you know, for retail purposes or to go into pie mixtures. So it makes you think outside of the square. Instead of just ordering, you know, boxes of loins or, you know, boxes of cheeks or whatever it happens to be, you've, you've, you've got to do the animal justice. And I think being a part of raising that animal, it gives you the added level of respect and you, you want to do everything you can to use every piece and do it justice. You mentioned the UK briefly. You've had amazing experiences over there as well as in Australia. But you, you sort of um, had some big experiences with wild game while you were in the Cotswolds over in the UK. Um, do you have any stories from that time and what you learnt sort of from their incredible game birds? Yeah, the game birds, I mean, that's the, the one area that, you know, I'm super envious of with the UK is their, their access to these particular things. And probably the greatest experiences that I had, like we, we had access to amazing stuff in London when I was at the Ledbury, but it was when I got to regional, um, you know, UK and it was on your doorstep, like literally on your doorstep. We'd turn up at work in the morning and there'd be bas- baskets and baskets and baskets of teal, pheasant, woodcock, grouse, partridge, and just a little note saying, you know, dear Pete, we shot far too many, hope you can use them. You know, that was the, the local lord of the manor, and their, their, their approaches to food law over there was so relaxed that we had the ability to do that. Um, temperatures outside, you know, sort of maxing out at one, two degrees. We had a ladder that hung out the side of the restaurant, and we'd hang braces of pheasant hens. Um and basically each day we'd go up to the local butchers, they had a plucking machine, you'd go up there, you'd get covered in down and get all sorts of itchy and then bring the birds back to the restaurant. Um, and, you know, for anyone who's up on their, 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 their game birds, the male pheasants don't eat particularly well, but they're a really, really beautiful bird with their, their plumage. And when the game season was on, all the locals were so embracing of it and to signify that game season was on, the chef used to hang the male birds as a corridor out the front of the restaurant. So he used to walk through this wall of, you know, feather, and he'd, he'd peat six sense of humour. It was to, to ward off all the evil vegetarian spirits. But people got behind it and they loved it. And, you know, it's you, within no time at all, those those 300 pheasant hens, they were, they were plucked, done, drawn, you know, run through the restaurant and it was on to the next cycle. Um, you know, the local gamekeeper bringing in, uh, hares and roe deer, um, you know, still skin on, just, just gutted and paunched out and we'd, we'd punch the fluff off them and hang them in our facility. Um, just a completely different approach to food. Well, one of the beautiful things about uh, the UK is that sort of regional sort of dining aspect and, and how good they are at that and and cooking local. But, but that, that has been uh, on the go incredibly in Australia for the last sort of decade or so that it's elevating regional dining. What sort of obligation do you feel towards that region and, and sort of delivering a sense of place there? Yeah, so th- this has been a real, you know, I've had two years to think about it, but um, it is such a unique environment here and we've got a lot of really beautiful artisanal producers in and around the area and as, as time goes on we make a little bit of noise, there's more people that are coming to the fore. So the restaurant's only small, um, you know, we've got a lot of space but you know, our setting plan's only 40, 45 um, and we want, it's, it's going to be a tasting menu and we want it to reflect not only our farm but the other regional producers and you know, the, the produce that is in, abundant in the area. You know, a lot of people have been chasing me. Are we going to see seafood? Are we going to see snapper pie? 
Um, seafood in its true sense, salt water, I don't think so. I just think that it'll look a little bit out of rhythm with what we're doing here, but there's a lot of amazing freshwater aqu aquaculture products in Australia um, that we can use. You know, we can use the abbeys, we can use the marins. Um, you know, the, the Murray cod is, is kicking off in big ways. Um, we've stocked one of our dams with trout finglings up here. We've just got to look at the legalities of what we can do with using those. So it's just sort of broadened the horizons. But the other thing too, having our own production area and actually allowing these vegetables to go through an entire life cycle. Um, like I'm looking, I'm going to sound like a real tool here, but looking at the back of the kitchen right now and we've got, massive grow like plantings of uh, globe artichokes and fennel that we've let go to seed and bolt at the moment. But we've done the same thing with lettuces. We've done the same thing with certain Chinese greens. And we're not focusing on that supermarket product that, you know, that picture perfect, there's your lettuce, it's available in one size, you know. We've got the ability to eat it basically straight out of the seedling production. Um, we can let it go to a normal salad size lettuce, but then we can also, once it bolts, we can look at using other parts of, of the lettuce and you know, just approaching the vegetables and getting different flavours and textures and using them at different periods to create different products. So that's, that's probably the, the big thing and, and the main focus of the restaurant is um, you know, just being a little bit left of centre with, with how we use the product that we're growing. Has, has it had its challenges building a restaurant from scratch? scratch during this period of time of such weird upheaval with access to materials and staff shortages? What's it been like? Yeah, absolutely. It's been massive. Um, one of the biggest challenges we had was um, obviously the, the projected budget um, with materials going up by 30 40%. Like that was a killer. Um, we were fairly lucky with our regional setting and the fact that we have got these cabins on the block that because a lot of our trades are from Sydney. Um, so they were coming up and so they all had the, the ability to travel on their, their um, basically their work passport. And they were coming up and they were spending, you know, basically their full time living on site and knocking it out. So the labour side of things wasn't quite as challenging as I thought it was going to be. But yeah, the, the logistical side of things, getting things to and from. Um, the other thing that we had to contend with along the way was the valley's one road in, one road out, and all this rain we had, we had landslides that closed the days for that closed the valley for days on end. So people were actually like literally isolated down here, and you know we <laughs> it was a subsistence lifestyle. We were living out of the cool rooms and the the gardens. So it, it's been interesting, mate. <laughs> that is a serious lock-in. Um, you've been working on this project for a couple of years now. How close are you to opening? When's the plan? Uh, we're pushing for March if, if everything goes to plan, if everything goes to plan. So um, obviously, you know, staffing is, is a big thing. Um, I've been fortunate enough to have a lot of my boathouse guys have put their hand up and they're going to relocate. Um, some of them had already relocated. Um, some of the guys that were on visas found themselves in the mountains anyway because it was easier to get placement in regional. Um, so I've been really, really lucky there, but we've still got, you know, plenty of positions that we, that we need to fill. And then it's just sort of we've still got equipment and things that have been on back order for since forever that we're waiting to, to turn up so we can do sign-off. You've put so much um, effort into this from the ground up. How's it going to feel when you swing the doors open to the restaurant in March? Look, it's been fun. It, it's been it's, – it's a, it's a massive project, like huge scale. 
and it's 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 had its highs and it's had its lows but i'm, I'm getting to the it's, it's getting down to the nitty-gritty now and i'm just mm. quietly starting to brick it so um, <laughs> yeah we, we've got about you know what every restaurateur will say the same thing you know you, you end up having to cram six months worth of work into the last two months to to get it done and uh that's where we're at now mate so we're doing the duck thing. We look pretty, pretty you know, calm and you know, collected on top, and the the feet are going a million mile an hour underneath. Well, it's looking like um, COVID is hopefully behind us, and you know, we should have a good year ahead. What are you looking forward to as the restaurant is opened and and down the track in the year ahead? I just really want to start cooking for people again, mate. Um, you know, nothing gives me greater pleasure than cooking for people. Um, you know, when you can look out from the restaurant and, you know, you sort of, you'll see a, a couple come in and you see the knives and forks being exchanged across the table and the expressions. And it, it's it, it's one of the greatest pleasures in my life to, to cook for people and that, you know, family and friends and, and the restaurant. So I'm looking forward to getting that back together. Um, I've been really, really fortunate to have my um, restaurant manager, Vincent Wigman, who was from the Boathouse and you know, I said it in the last podcast, he was the restaurant manager that I needed for the 13 years prior. Um, I've got him on board and after a very drawn out visa process, um, he's all signed up, he's on the books and we, we work so well together in the past and I think it's really, really important that, you know, that you've got to, with the, the front of house and, and, and the kitchen, you've got to have that balance and I've got that in Vinny, so I'm, I'm really excited to, to work with him again and, and, you know, some of my old guys from Sydney as well. Um, but also too, you know, there's there's a little bit of we're starting to get you know local kids turn up. Say, oh, I've heard about the project. We'd love to take on an apprenticeship. So, yeah, we can get to nurturing and teaching as well. Amazing. Well, Colin, I can't wait to see um, Megalong when it's open and um, experience it. Um, like many people will probably absolutely love to get there as they did at the boathouse all those years when you were on the pans. It's an absolute pleasure to catch you up with you as always. Keep in touch and we'll catch up again soon. Thanks for the time, Hunt. You know, the other thing I just wanted to touch on before we left is, you know, the last chat that I had with you was very doom and gloom. And, you know, I'd, I'd lost 13 years of sort of what I was invested in, but the podcast actually gave me the ability to voice some things that I wasn't allowed to sort of go into with lease agreements. And, yeah. you know, a lot of people think that we just pack the, the boathouse up and we, we duck-tailed and run. But, you know, we were sort of forced into a corner and it gave me an outlet to tell industry people. It was quite cathartic. So, you know, big ups to you and the guys for uh, giving us the ability to do that, mate. Well, we love hearing your stories, mate, and it's an absolute honour to um, give you the platform to uh, let you share them. Uh, keep in touch, mate. Good luck. Can't wait to see what you do. Thanks, Huck. This is the Deep in the Weeds podcast. I'm Anthony Huckstep. Stay tuned as we take a deep dive into the lives of the incredible people who ply their trade in the food and hospitality sector. Special thanks to executive producer Rob Locke for making this all happen. Follow us on Instagram at Deep in the Weeds Podcast or email us at podcast at deepintheweeds.com.au. Stay safe and be well. <laughs>